Amen. You may be seated. Glorious words. It is finished. Meditate on that. Think about that. Think about what that means. And maybe in line with the sermon, we'll never confuse law and gospel. Turn back to Romans. We're at the end of chapter 9. I'm simply going to read the text we are looking at this morning and then we'll come back and set the context before we, before we dive in. But in response to the Lord saving a remnant of the Jews and bringing in the Gentiles, as we saw last week, the one people of God, Through His sovereignty and election, Paul's asking us another question. What shall we say then? Verse 30. In response to all this, what shall we say? How do we move forward? What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not Be put to shame. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is exactly that, your word. So may our Lord's prayer be answered. Sanctify them by your truth. May your spirit take your word and apply it to our hearts. Illuminate it, Lord. Use me as an instrument in your hand. May your word run and be glorified. Help me to preach it accurately and truthfully. Help us to hear it as your word. Loving it. Loving you through it. Seeking to understand it. And live in its light and rest in Christ. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We cry out for it and we trust for it. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Our responsibility is to live the gospel. A pastor heard one of his congregants say. So he said to them, Okay, so tell me what is the gospel? And this person looked back at him and replied, Love the Lord With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. To which the pastor graciously replied, that is not the gospel. That is a summary of the law. We don't live the gospel. Jesus did that. We embrace Christ through the gospel. See, this little story highlights a major problem in 
Christianity. Confusion over the difference between the law and the gospel. Sometimes seeing the law as the gospel or the gospel as the law or blending the two. Thinking that we can be made right with God by works. You might have heard people say things like, my good works will outweigh my bad works on the day of judgment. They won't. Or, well, I'm not as bad as you fill in the blank. Well, God's not going to judge you by whether or not you're better than one of your fellow human beings. I don't know why I'm pointing at Anthony. Anthony's a good man. <laughs> you may have heard this, and you'll especially hear, hear this coming out of the Mormon church, but sometimes in the Christian church, you will hear, you do your best. And God will do the rest. But our best is filthy rags. Isaiah said, all our righteous attempts are filthy rags. All the striving I do to make myself better outside of Christ is just trying to fix sin with sin because none of it is pure. It is all stained with some amount of self-centeredness. Some amount of failure. We cannot blend the law and the gospel. We cannot confuse the law and the gospel. See, man intuitively knows that sin is a problem. Why? Because we're created in the image of God and we have the law of God written on our hearts. Marred by the fall and marred in sin, but it is there. Universally, mankind knows murder is wrong and things like that. See, we were created in God's image. Knowing who we are helps us a great deal. But man intuitively knows sin is a problem, but intuitively also thinks that works and the law are the way to be right with God. Sometimes you'll hear people say, think you're trying to witness to them. Maybe you're trying to invite them to church or you're trying to witness to them and you'll hear them say, I, 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 I'm not ready. I need to clean up my act first. Beloved, you can't clean up your act. If you could, Jesus wouldn't have come. Cleaning up your act is the work of His grace. But we must, what, I, what we see confused in our text today, what I want highlighting now is that there's a confusion over law and gospel. And this has been classically seen in the Reformed Church as a necessary distinction between law and gospel. Theodore Beza, French reformer, successor to Calvin, Geneva, he said this, Ignorance of the distinction between the law and the gospel is one of the principal sources of all abuses which corrupt and still corrupt Christianity. A failure to rightly distinguish between law and gospel as it relates to our justification, we'll talk more about that, is one of the principal sources of all abuses and corruptions that still corrupt Christianity. 
And so we see Paul when he, as he's describing the Jew and Gentile situation and true righteousness, we see him point out a confusion in Israel over the law, over its purpose, over how to rightly use it. The Jews confused the law with the gospel and therefore stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Christ. So we're we're thinking about we've come through a study in Romans. We're up in chapter nine. We've seen that Jew and Gentile need a savior. Christ is that savior. That justification is by faith in Christ alone. That little word alone is important. Sola. Fide. Faith alone. So faith alone in Christ alone, we, we are through faith alone, through faith in Christ, we are united to Christ, cleansed from our sin, clothed in His righteousness, accepted as a child of God. It's an act of His grace and then He begins the work of His grace which is growing us up in that salvation. And we've come all the way down through our understanding of justification by faith alone to through a a good theology of sanctification. And then we come to see Paul's burden in the first part of chapter nine for his Jewish brethren, because most of them have not received their own Messiah. And we've seen him lay out then the problem. The problem is not that the word of God has failed. God, there, there is a remnant of the Jews chosen by grace, and there is also Gentile inclusion into that one self-same body. And we're still thinking about that question. Why is it that only a remnant of the Jews will be saved and the Gentiles are thereby included? Two answers. We've come through Romans chapter 9. You have survived. You are still here through that discussion of God's sovereignty and election, we're starting to turn now to look at responsibility. And as we open up that topic here, what we're doing in in verses 30 to 33 in chapter 9, we're sort of opening, if you've read it, we're sort of opening up some topics that are going to be more explained in chapter 10. So I don't want to try to preach the whole thing now and then have to say the same thing Later, So there'll be a bit of summarizing today, but hopefully just getting us mainly to think about and make sure that we have law and gospel in proper categories, that our, we understand how, they, how law relates to justification, how then it relates to sanctification. But making it simple, I know it sounds complicated, but today you have a simple main point. Look at it. Believe the law and the gospel and turn to Christ alone for righteousness and salvation. See, rightly understood, both the law and the gospel are pointing us to Christ. That we will turn from self and hoping in anything we do to hoping in Christ and everything that he has done for us. The law points us to our failure and need of a savior and the gospel points us to Christ as that Savior. So if we'll rightly listen to them and see them, what they're telling us, first and foremost, we're going to get that message. Believe the law and the gospel and turn to Christ alone for salvation. So let's just review quickly before we look at this text. Just review in the first point, the law-gospel distinction. What is the law? When we say law and gospel, what law are we talking about? 
gospel law or no, no, no. We're talking about this. The law is the commands of God that we must perfectly keep in order to avoid being cursed forever. Comprehended and summarized in the Ten Commandments. No other gods. Worshipping His way. Honoring His name. Honoring His day. No murder. Adultery. Stealing. False witness. Coveting. That law. God commands that it be kept perfectly in thought, word, and deed. And any failure to do so is sin which deserves cursing by God. Condemnation. So the law is... Anything that God commands us to do under the penalty of death for failure. If we don't keep God's law, we will be cursed by God. Look at Galatians 3.10. Just quick. We're just, this is a quick summary. For all who rely on the works of the law. See how that goes with the text. And you'll see that when we, when we look into it a bit. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, now watch this, this is quoting from Leviticus, uh, no, Deuteronomy, I think. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now look at that. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by most of the things written in the book of the law to do them. Half of the things. In order to keep the law... I must keep it perfectly. So if I'm going to make myself right with God, and we know we fail from the womb, right? But if I'm going to make myself right with God, I can never break God's commandments in thought, word, or deed. I can never think a sinful thought. I can never... Say a sinful word, I can never do a sinful deed. I can never fail to always think righteous thoughts and always speak righteous words and always do righteous deeds. I must be perfect to keep His law. You may not know this, and grandparents often grade grandchildren on a big curve, don't they? Right? And many teachers will grade on the curve. I will be sympathetic to failure and try to help. God, because He's holy and righteous and pure, cannot grade on the curve. It's either 100% or it's zero. Failure. Lost. Cursed. So in other words, if we're going to try to clean up our act and make ourselves right with God, we have to take this high bar of the law and bring it down to a level we can keep. That's why you hear people say things like, do the best you can, and God will do the rest. My good works will outweigh my, that kind of thing. We, de- we, we devalue the gospel and we devalue the law when we think we can be saved by works. We tell Christ, it is cool that you came, but didn't really need you. I can fix this on my own. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by, look at that, all things written in the book of the law to do them. So, if we're going to rightly understand God's law, we're going to understand that first and foremost, it is a prosecutor. And that prosecutor has an open and shut case against us in our failure to keep 
God's law. What did Paul say in chapter 3? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall short of glorifying God. How? Fall short of keeping His law perfectly in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, we need a Savior. We are guilty in thought, word, and deed. And we deserve condemnation. You must own that fact. That that is true of you. Kids, that is true of you. Grandparents, true of you. Parents, everybody under the sound of my voice. Everybody who has been born since Adam fell. This has been true of us. So the first message we must hear from the law is that God's law is perfect. It is holy. It is pure. It is righteous. And we are not. See, God's law perfectly pictures to us His holiness. And as our Creator, what He requires of us, and therefore as a mirror then, it shows us how we have failed. And we don't fix our situation with a mirror, do we? You know, you get up and you wake up in the morning, you're laying in the bed, and you think, oh, this is pretty cool. I feel pretty good. And, you know, everything's going well. You go walk in the bathroom and hair's like this and like this, and you're all a mess. You don't take the mirror and start rubbing it around. No, you take the comb and the brush. See, the mirror points out our need. It's supposed to hush our mouth. It's supposed to stop our excuses. It's supposed to stop us saying anything like, I will clean up my act or my good words will, works will outweigh my bad. Look at Romans three nineteen and 20. We've already seen this in our study. Now, we know that whatever the law speaks, whatever it says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Not in Christ yet, right? So, look at the purpose. Every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. First and foremost, the law is to reveal our sin and our need to us. And when we talk about being righteous by what we do, we're trying to jump over that fact and make the law some sort of ladder that we can climb to heaven. But we must hear. See, the Jews had failed to hear, to really hear the law. Now, some had, we know, by God's grace. But most have, had not. We'll see that when we look at the text today. So that's the law. Any, God's commandments that we are commanded to keep under the penalty of death, physical, spiritual. We're going to move on. Gospel. What is the gospel then? The gospel is the message. Now, hear me because this is going to weigh in the sermon. Well, I'm already in the sermon, right? Later in the sermon. I haven't even started the sermon yet. This just... <laughs> the message, the gospel is the message through which God gives us the righteousness that the law requires. In the gospel, God, by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works, grants a person justification. I got on the guys the other night in men's ministry. I'm going to remind you, have you memorized that question yet? What is justification? It is an act of God's grace. Whereby He pardons. There's two, two elements. 
pardons all of our sins. That's the first part. And accepts us as righteous in His sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed or credited to us and received by faith alone. Please memorize that definition along with the definition on sanctification. It will help you keep them straight. The gospel is the message through which God gives us the righteousness that the law requires. In the gospel, God works through that gospel. He, he works faith in us so that we turn in Christ to Christ and are united to Him and justified on the basis of Christ. Romans 6.23, we've already seen this in our study. Watch this. The two law and gospel here. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It has to be a free gift because we can't earn it or pay God back for it. The law points us to our failure and death so that we, by God's grace, will turn and trust in Jesus Christ and find eternal life in Him. So if you want a little bitty short summary, the law says do or die. Do or die. Keep. Me or you die. The gospel says done, so live. So the law is due under the penalty of death and the gospel is done. What do we sing? It is finished. The law curses and the gospel cures. The law points out our lack of righteousness, but the gospel points us to Christ, the source of true righteousness, received by faith alone. That's why the Reformation was such a big deal. The gospel had been lost. Law and gospel had been confused. The gospel had to be recovered. And it was. So that's a quick summary of law and gospel. Now we'll look at the text. Point number two. The faith righteousness of the Gentiles. The Jews are the main point here still, but we're touching on the Gentiles in verse 30. He says, what shall we say then? Now watch this. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Y'all remember the summary of the gospel. We said this is the thesis statement to the letter in chapter 1, 16 and 17, where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentiles, what that means. Now, verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or by faith from first to last, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. By faith we shall be righteous or just or justified. Look, he said, Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness have attained it. Sovereign election, yes, we've already seen it. Now, personal responsibility. In light of God's calling of the Gentiles and a remnant of Jews, we find this to be the case 
And we'll see more about it in chapter 10. But by faith alone, Gentiles have attained right standing with God. How can I be saved? How can I be right with God? By hoping outside yourself. By looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And being cleansed from your sin and clothed in His righteousness. Notice it says in verse 30b, it says that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. It doesn't mean that none of the Gentiles ever tried to be moral people. It doesn't mean that at all. You know, all idolatry has is steeped in legalism and, and even, you know, common knowledge, seeking to try to make oneself good with God. Gentiles, too, had the law written on their heart. They know sin is the problem, and many of them sought to fix it by being good. The Gentile world was full of man's attempts, and still is, to placate God. But they did so through idolatry and not through seeking the true and living God. They were not pursuing a righteous relationship with the true and living God, uh, the true God of Israel, until God began to work in their hearts by grace. We've already seen that in, in chapter 9, how God's election includes Jew and Gentile. Drawing to faith. So they weren't, they weren't seeking Pursuing righteousness, they certainly weren't trying to sort of keep all the aspects of the Mosaic ceremonial law, the law that was given to the Jews and thinking that would fix it. Yes, they sometimes were seeking to be moral and many times were outwardly, externally. Yet the elect among the Gentiles found it by faith. The main reason why the Gentiles, who were not formally pursuing a right relationship with God, suddenly trusted Christ and thus found righteousness imputed to them was because God's word to them had not failed. Verse 6. It hadn't failed with the Jewish, the, the elect remnant. It hasn't failed with this group of Gentiles who found. Now look at it. A righteousness that is by faith. We saw that in chapter 3, that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we actually receive the righteousness of God. The right standing required by God. We heard it in our definition of justification a moment ago. Is imputed or credited to us through faith. Not infused. That's a misunderstanding. Credited. We're talking about courtroom. Language, and we've talked a lot about this. Sinners are made righteous in God's sight. These Gentiles had been made righteous in God's sight. How? Some of y'all want me to use this language every time, but I don't always use it. The Bible doesn't always use it. Double the imputation. That's how. Right? We've already seen earlier in chapter 9, chosen, given to Christ before the foundation of the world. The Spirit works faith in the heart of the elect through the gospel. But how? Well, because the sinner's sins were imputed to Christ, credited to Him, and He paid the penalty so that His righteousness could be credited to us. If you want a picture of that, uh, Joshua, the high priest, we look at that in Zechariah. Uh, imagine wearing your sin is represented by these filthy clothes. That you have on. And you, you hear, all who are in filthy clothes must be cursed. 
So you see your clothes are filthy, you know you deserve condemnation, you know you deserve to be cursed. Into the picture enters Christ in this beautiful, spotless, white robe of righteousness. You're filthy, He's clean. You're unrighteous, He's righteous. What did He do? Pictorially, He didn't give up His righteousness, but imagine Him taking off that cloak of righteousness and taking off your dirty clothes and putting them on, going to the cross and paying the penalty you deserve. Penalty being paid, it is finished. Now His righteous robe is put on you. And you are declared righteous by the Father's judgment and accepted as a child of God. See, our sin imputed to Christ, His righteousness imputed to us. Cleansed is only half of the picture. Clothed is the other half. So I'm not just not unrighteous, but I am righteous in Christ. See, the righteousness that God requires was gifted to these Gentiles. And it is gifted to you by faith if you are trusting in Him. Here's one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that God requires. The righteousness of Christ in His full keeping of the law and thought, word, and deed is placed on our record. Our record of sin and failure before the judgment bar of God was obliterated with Christ on the cross so that His record of righteousness could be put in its place before God's judgment bar. And therefore, God, if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, you are cleansed from all of your sin, you are clothed in Christ's righteousness, God has spoken over you the verdict in His court, righteous, and you have been adopted as a child of God. Kids, so simple. John 3.16 For in this way God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, whosoever trusts in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Through faith in Jesus you have everlasting life. Because He has dealt with your sin. The Gentiles who did not pursue the true righteousness have attained it. How? By faith, having righteousness credited to them the righteousness of Christ. <coughs> what about um, the Jews? Look in verse 31. So there's a contrast here. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained it, and that is the righteousness that is by faith, the very righteousness of God, the righteousness He requires that Christ achieve. But, here's the contrast. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Wow. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as, as if it were based on works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. We'll talk about that verse in a minute. Israel refused faith righteousness. They missed that the Messiah would be the only source of true righteousness. They therefore rejected their own Messiah in favor of fixing it themselves. They missed the Old Testament proclamation. First would come the suffering servant who would be the Lamb of God to die for His people before He would come back as the conquering king. He's still going to do that. 
But this this law and gospel confusion, this seeking to keep the law, the law did promise. And we'll talk about that next time. The law promised right standing with to the one who would keep it. But who would keep it fully. In thought, word, and deed. See, the standard is there. The bar is there. If you could attain to that bar, you would be righteous in God's sight. But we can't. We can't keep it. And they missed that. They saw, we'll see next time, Leviticus 18.5 and other verses as showing them the way to be righteous. When in fact it should have showed them, as, as Paul points out in Galatians, that they were not righteous. They pursued a works righteousness. That's clearly what it said. Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. They thought they could keep the law and be righteous. I mean, you see it in the rich young ruler, don't you? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus just gave him the second table about keeping the law. And all that I have done from my youth. And then Jesus took and pointed out the very first commandment and showed him how he had failed. His things were his idol. And he walked away. We believe he was converted later. But at that point, he walked away because he hadn't gotten the message yet. Some of us, listen, some of us hadn't gotten the message yet. Maybe people listening on the live stream hadn't gotten the message yet. Whole churches will teach you how to make yourself righteous and right with God. And maybe inadvertently by confusing law and gospel. You either have to attain salvation by what you do or you've got to keep it by what you do. That's a confusion of law and gospel. See, the Jews were focused on the law. They thought Moses was enough. In the commandments they had from God and in the sacrificial system, they thought, that's it. That's all I need. I can do this. But it says they did not attain to the law. Why? They didn't keep it in thought, word, and deed. Why? Now look in verse 32. Because they did not pursue it by faith. They pursued it by works. They did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. What's the clear implication there? It is not. It can't be. If you would have righteousness, right standing with God, it must be attained through faith and not just general faith. That's something else you hear. When you start witnessing to people, people will look at you and say, I believe in God. Well, that's good. But the bar is higher than that. The devil believes in God. He's not justified. It's trust in Christ alone. They did not pursue it by faith in the Messiah. But as if it were based on works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They pursued righteousness by works. They pursued righteousness by law. We are God's people. We are the children of Abraham. Physically. Therefore, we're in with God. And all we have to do is keep His law. And we're good. You can see how to the natural man it would be easy to arrive at that confusion. But Paul's point in Romans 9 is to say, it's not all the physical children, it's not race, but grace that makes the difference. 
You know, the Apostle John said, God is able to make sons of Abraham from these stones. Look at the point of this before we move on. If they, would have, if they were going to have righteousness, Jew or Gentile, anybody, you, if you're going to have righteousness, it is going to be pursued by faith. Faith in Christ, we've already seen that in Romans, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. All who trust in Christ. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer cried. Paul said, keep the law, the law and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. A very definite place he pointed him to. The one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Jews didn't believe it. The Jews didn't pursue it. That's why they actually crucified Christ through the Romans. They thought it was based on works and keeping the law. So therefore they stumbled over the stumbling stone. We're going to open this up more in chapter 10, but look what it says. They stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes, notice he tells us the stone is personal. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Kind of see that language again in verse 11. See, we're still talking about that in chapter 10. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 10. Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Put to shame where? At the judgment bar of God. Because our shame will have been covered. Our sin will have been forgiven. I told the guys the other night, we were talking about the judgment, and I'll just throw this out at you. For the Christian, the judgment is not going to be God throwing your sin in your face. Why? Because Christ already dealt with that. It is gone. Heart of the ocean, far as the east is from the west. Memorize Psalm 103 with us. But right here in this verse, in chapter, in verse 33, Paul is mashing up two verses. Inspired to do so. Peter interprets them the same way in the first, first Peter 2, 6 to 8. But that's what happens a lot of times. When you see, this might help you with some things. When you see as it is written in the New Testament, sometimes that's a summary of what the Old Testament teaches about a topic. Sometimes it will be a couple of verses sort of harmonized and put together about something that is taught in the Old Testament. We want, we, when we see as it is written, we think it's going to be a direct quote. That's just not the way. That you preach or teach or these were inspired apostles, right? Writing the word of God. So they were rightly using the scripture. But sometimes it would be like this one. This one mashes up Isaiah 28:16 and Isaiah 8:14, And it's a warning that the people of Israel would stumble. Watch this. Those verses are a warning that the people of Israel would stumble over the Lord himself. He would be the rock on whom, uh, the rock on whom we fall and are broken, right? Convicted, turned, trust in Christ. But on whom it falls, we would be crushed. You see that? The cornerstone, the one that was rejected by the builders. Christ is that stone. And these verses warn for exactly what was God predicted beforehand that the Jews would stumble over Christ. That the Jews would crucify their own Messiah. That the Jews wouldn't know, by and large, who He was. Go read Isaiah 53. 
We considered him smitten and afflicted, cursed of God. They pursued the law for righteousness. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Christ. They should have realized that their Messiah, Christ, was the only way to not be put to shame and judgment. Whoever believes, look at that. Look at that. Whoever. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I mean, even Simeon, when he approached Mary, right? Talked about a sword piercing your own heart. A sign to be spoken against. The Old Testament clearly predicted that the Jewish Messiah would be rejected and crucified and be raised from the grave, but would be accepted by all in whom the Spirit of God was at work. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. What's the obvious implication of the flip side of that? Whoever does not believe in Him will be put to shame. Wouldn't it be a shame to maybe be raised in the church or maybe trying to get your act straightened out and, and start going to church and clean up some outward things and think you're doing okay to get before the judgment seat of Christ and hear Him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice. It will help you read it better. Lawlessness. See, one of the ways to be lawless is to violate the law in our thoughts, words, and deeds. Another way to be lawless is to use it in the wrong way. To try to see it as a way of salvation. The Jews missed it. The Gentiles got it. They didn't confuse law and gospel by God's grace. The Jews for the most part, had confused law and gospel. They saw the law as the gospel. And they rejected the true gospel, thinking it to be foolishness. How about you? Scripture says things like Christ, this stone, this Son of God, this person. Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried And He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. By grace have you been saved through faith. Not of works. It's not of you. It's the gift of God, Paul says in Ephesians 2. How do you see things? Let's turn to a little bit of application. We're going to come back to these topics as we move through chapter 10. But let's, let's pause and think about these things a little bit. What are you counting on to make yourself right with God? You don't have to say it out loud. Just just be honest with yourself for a minute. You know there's a God. You know you're responsible to Him. You must answer to Him. You will answer to Him someday. So what are you counting on to make yourself right with this God? If Jesus did ask the old evangelism explosion question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Be honest with yourself. 
What are you thinking right now? Is your mind going down the trail of, well, I didn't do this and I don't do this, but I've done this and I've tried the best I can, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I. If that's your answer, you've confused law and gospel. You're trying to be your own Savior. Oh, no, he's coming out into the crowd. I want you to get it. Are you trying to be your own Savior? Well, my parents were Christians. Well, God bless your parents, but they're not your Christ either. It will be you alone who stand before Christ. What will be your answer? Anything other than my hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the wrong answer. If, if the sentence begins with I, then I've confused law and gospel. But if it begins, if it begins with He, Christ, I don't have a, a perfect faith. I don't have a faith. My faith is weak sometimes. I struggle, right? But my hope is in Jesus for salvation. That's the right answer. Because that's what Scripture says. That's what Paul said, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe outside of yourself. Believe on another. And He's the, the another. He's the one who perfectly fulfilled the law in thought, word, and deed. He's the one who died to pay the penalty for our sins. He's the one who promises to receive all who come to Him in faith. So will you repent? Will you turn from going your own way, thinking you know best, trusting it will all work out, pursuing and enjoying sin, Will you turn from that? Will you have a 180 degree shift in heart to turn toward God in grief and contrition and receive Christ as your Savior? God, be merciful to me, a sinner, is what the tax collector said. That's another good contrast, right? What, What was the Pharisee doing? Don't I do this and don't I do that? And I'm not like, ooh, this old sinner over here. And the the sinner, the tax collector, all he did was say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he went home justified. And the other, the righteous man in the flowing robes, who was the Mr. Holy, went home lost as a ball in high grass. Because he had confused the law and the gospel. Here's my first point of application. No one can be righteous before God by works or by the law. No one. Only one has ever kept the law in thought, word, and deed. And that is Jesus. Yes, He did it to glorify the Father and our love for the Father, but He did it for His people so that He could impute that righteousness, give that righteousness to us. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be righteous on your own. You will not stand before God and have your good works outweigh your bad. You might have been an outwardly moral, nice, neighbor-serving person your whole life. That won't get you into heaven. No one can be righteous before God by the works of the law, by works, by law, 
by confusing law and gospel. So please don't ignore me this morning. Maybe in the live stream. Maybe you're in Botswana today. I don't know. Same is true of you. What are you hoping in? What are you hoping in? Well, I'm just trying not to think about it. Well, that's dumb. You don't want to suddenly be before Christ and not have thought about it. Well, I just think that gospel is foolishness. That's what he said you would say. Read 1 Corinthians. It's the wisdom of God, which a lot of times confuses the wisdom of man. You cannot save yourself. No one can be righteous before God by works of the law. So please stop trusting in you. Number two, everyone can be righteous by faith in Christ. Everyone can be righteous before God by faith, faith in Christ alone. It doesn't mean everyone will. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The only question is, will you come? Will you stop billy-goating? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Will you come? But when the Spirit convicts you of your sin, you will come. Well, I don't remember a lot about things, but I remember that. That strong conviction that came over me when I was 26 years old. Everyone can be righteous before God by faith. Whosoever believes in Him. Listen, whosoever believes in Him doesn't say anything about whether or not election is true. But it is true. Whosoever will come. We know that those who will come are those in whom He's at work by His grace. Right? But everyone can be righteous. Will you trust Christ? If so, you can know He will receive you. Are you willing? Are you willing to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life you didn't live? Are you willing to embrace the fact that Jesus took the penalty and the curse that you deserve? That's what he did on the cross. See, listen, the physical suffering was, was horrid. But the spiritual suffering was so much more. He took eternal hell. Upon himself for you, if you are trusting in him. He took that cup of God's wrath. This is why he sweat blood in the garden, knowing what he was facing. The cup of wrath was poured out on him for all of his people's sins. And before he left that cross, he said, it is finished. That means paid in full. Are you willing to believe that Jesus paid for your sins? By suffering the wrath of God, do you? Are you willing to receive Him as a free gift through faith? Remember the verse in 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift by nature is telling you, you, you don't earn it. You can't earn it. God won't accept you because of you. But He will accept you because of Christ. So you put your faith in Jesus like the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, my hope is in you. It's not a magic prayer. You don't have to say those words. 
But if God has worked in you conviction such that you have turned and received by faith, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know that before the judgment bar, you are righteous. Law, everything God commands on penalty of death, grace, gospel, the message of us receiving the righteousness that God requires in Christ so that we can be reconciled to God. Believer, I want to speak to you a minute. Number three, if you are trusting in Christ alone, pause. We all want to know if we got enough faith, right? If you have any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have any love for Jesus, the Spirit put that in you. Who gets over the Emerald Isle Bridge better? The one who's scared to death while they're driving over the bridge or the one who is fully confident? Same, right? Because what's holding them up is the bridge, not their hope. Now, I hope the engineers are doing a good job every year when they repair that thing. So don't, don't look inward. Stop looking inward. Don't turn your eyeballs around. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That's, all, that's one of the only things the, the deacon could say when Spurgeon was in church that day. Young man, look to Jesus. He did. Stop worrying about whether or not He'll receive you or whether or not you have enough faith or whether you've done everything perfectly. You know what? You haven't. But He has. Look to Jesus. And listen, look back at the end of verse 33. And this is what I want to say to you. If you are trusting in Christ alone, you are righteous in God's sight and you will never be put to shame. See, this is one of the beauties of the doctrine of election. I can know that the faith I have, He gave me. It was His idea. He, he, he worked faith in me. Peter says He caused us to be born again. So that I don't have to keep looking inside myself to see if I'm enough. He's already told me, you're not. Just receive the gift. So if by His grace I'm trusting in Christ, I'm forgiven. I'm clothed in His righteousness. I'll never be put to shame in His judgment bar. So stop trying to save yourself. Trust in Christ to save you. And know that if you are trusting in Christ, even with a weak faith, but your hope is in Jesus, that you've been forgiven for all of your sins. You've been clothed in His righteousness. You are a child of God. And if He, remember chapter 8, if He's justified you, He will glorify you. If He begun the good work in you, He will finish it. He never starts something that He doesn't finish. If you turn from Christ and once having claimed to believe in Him, if you turn from Him and apostatize and, and walk away from the Christian faith, you're only revealing that you never really had true faith to start with. Because He finishes what He starts. If you're in Christ, then you will never be put to shame. Are you trusting in Christ alone? If you are, that means you're distinguishing rightly. Between law and gospel. You're not hoping in your own performance. But you're hoping in His performance. His living for you. His dying for you. His raising from the grave for you. His ascension. His reigning for you. And His coming again someday for you. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. 
and sent His Son to be the propitiation, to pay the penalty for our sins. Trust in Jesus and receive that free gift of righteousness. I want to end with a quote from a Scottish reformer. This is one of those times when you see a name and there is no way you'd pronounce this right if somebody didn't tell you how to do it. This man's name is John Cahoon. Look at how it's spelled. I'm not sure what happened in Scotland. (laughs) Anyway, back up to the first of the quote. This is what he said. Now, watch the relationship and the necessity. See, this is one of the things that's wrong with the church these days. Nobody's preaching the law anymore. Therefore, we don't understand the gospel. But look, look at this. If then a man cannot distinguish a right between the law and the gospel, he cannot rightly understand so much as a single article of divine truth. If he does not have spiritual and just apprehensions of the holy law, he cannot have spiritual and transforming discoveries of the glorious gospel. And on the other hand, if his gospel is erroneous, his notions of the law cannot be right. We must properly and biblically distinguish between the law and the gospel so that we keep the gospel right and the law right so that we don't hope in ourselves, but we hope in Christ alone. If we do not properly do that, Distinguish law and gospel. We cannot properly understand the gospel. And if we cannot properly understand the gospel and apply the gospel, we will be found among those who are relying on their own works. And we will be lost. Again, I ask you, in what or in whom are you trusting? Believe the glorious good news of verse 30 and verse 33. The, the faith, the righteousness that comes through faith and the fact that none who trust in Him will ever be put to shame. True saving righteousness is found by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Hope in Him and never be disappointed. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. So many are confused. So many are trying to be good enough or hoping to be good enough or not even really worried about it. So many are just focused on self. And oh. and so many of us who know you are struggling with assurance because we're still in some sense trying to hope in who we are and what we do. Set us free, Lord. Thank you for the glorious picture of those Gentiles that do find, did find faith, a righteousness that is by faith, and the remnant of the Jews who, who, who find this faith. Help us to hear the warning from those who would see it, salvation and righteousness, as if it were based by works, based on works, and to turn and trust and know that it's by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That through faith in Christ, we are forgiven and cleansed from our sin. We are clothed in His righteousness. We are accepted as children of God. And you take us by the hand and you will lead us all the way home. Your children will never be put to shame. 
May we be your children through faith in your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us. Help us to be witnesses of this truth as we leave here. Help us to meditate on this truth and not forget this sermon as soon as we walk away from it. But help us to talk about it with one another and think about it and meditate on it and share it. And and talk about uh, the gospel with our neighbors and tell them how they too can find hope and life and purpose and satisfaction and joy and faith in the forgiveness and righteousness that is a free gift through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May your church ever properly distinguish between law and gospel and be hoping in Christ alone, living in your joy and with great purpose living for your glory. And help us to help one another to do so, Lord. I'll just end with praying for those who might not be trusting with Christ Trusting in Christ this morning, either in the building or over the live stream or hearing the recording. Praying that you, by your grace, according to your will, would work faith in their heart through your gospel. Bless us to love, trust, rest in you and grow in living for you. To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, 